Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Monday, December the 7th, 2020. On this edition of The Politocrat, a conversation with award-winning journalist Rose Scott. She is the host and executive producer of Closer Look with Rose Scott, an Atlanta-based show at the NPR affiliate WABE. She and I will be conversing on the two debates in Georgia from yesterday and a few other issues around politics. That coming up next. Welcome back. I just wanted to inform you that you may hear a slight audio distortion um, during the course of the conversation. Um, I smoothed out much of, if not nearly all of it, but you still will hear a few slight things. Nothing to take away from your listening experience. And here we are, without any further ado, my conversation with Rose Scott. So with me on the Politocrat podcast today is Rose Scott, the one and only Rose Scott. She is an award-winning journalist. She's won Emmys. She's won a Murrow Award. She is someone who's traveled all around the world, interviewed foreign leaders. She has absolutely has her pulse on the uh, finger of the pulse of Atlanta. And she hosts a show called Closer Look with Rose Scott. She's also the executive producer of that show which is in Atlanta at WABE-FM Radio. It is an affiliate of the NPR, National Public Radio. Please, please, a warm welcome for the one and only Rose Scott. Welcome, Rose. Thank you, Omar. (laughs) How you doing? I'm doing real well. How are you doing? I'm tired, Omar. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm tired, brother. I'm, I'm tired. It's been a an exhausting year but um this is what we signed up for right yes indeedy yes indeedy and um in the spirit of that i i promise i am not going to keep you very long uh, i know you work extremely hard um to bring the stories <laughs> and to discuss things on, on radio and actually i wanted to before we do get into talking about these two uh georgia debates that we had or should i say one and a half georgia debates uh, yeah, one and one and one and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we get to that, I do want to make a point first of all to ask you about a, a closer look. If you could please tell the audience about your wonderful show, please. Well, you know, closer look with Rose Scott is kind of the the little show that that could. You know, when we started um, now almost six years ago, our station. Primary, let me back up a little bit. Our station, we used to broadcast a lot of classical. We changed formats. We decided that, or management decided that, you know, now was the time to to probably offer more news and information. Um, so we cut back a lot on the classical uh, programming, which, you know, for the diehards, that was hard to take, you know. <laughs> but my personal philosophy is being an NPR affiliate in Atlanta, you know, we needed to be more than just a few hours of news at the top and bottom of the hour. 
you know, in the morning and in the after, in late afternoon. So I think it was a, it was a great move. Um, we have two midday shows, mine and another cultural and arts show with my colleague Lois Reitzes, which have become staples in the community. I mean, that's what public media is all about, right? That's right. Serving the community and, and also giving a voice to those who ordinarily we may not hear from. So I'm very proud of both of our midday shows. And closer look, we're able to, as I always tell my producers, you know, tell people when they ask you about the program, we're going beyond sound bites, you know. So it, if we do a segment, if we have 15, kind of like with you, we have 15 to 18, sometimes 20 minutes, sometimes 24 minutes, depending on the segment and the guest, to really, you know, unravel and dissect and dig through the issue. And so that's something that I enjoy. And everyone has an opportunity, whether you're an elected official or an eight-year-old. And I've had seven-year-olds and eight-years-old on programs. So, you know, everyone has a story. So um, we we try to cover all those tentacles tied to quality of life issues, you know. So, and like where you are, Atlanta has a lot of them. You know, right now we're working a lot toward uh, what's going to happen with affordability in terms of housing in Atlanta and of course you know what that's like out there in, in your area um, mm-hmm. the rent is just too high man. <laughs> the rent is too high brother so you know we're looking at you know what would Atlanta's housing landscape look, look like as we go into 2021 because mm-hmm. you know with the eviction moratoriums being um, uh, expiring you know people need housing man people need housing so it's going to be really really interesting to see how all this turns out. Of course, we have a unsheltered populations getting cold here in Atlanta. So, um, but I will say this, Atlanta has a lot of organizations that are doing some great work in helping people. They really do. Big, small. Um, the challenge is that the need is so great. You know, the need is so great. So what I see is uh, a lot of these organizations need to partner to meet the, the demand of, of, of our of our citizens here in Atlanta that need help, you know. Most definitely. So we try to cover all of it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you, yeah. you do it so well. I've listened to a couple of uh, uh, the episodes, uh, some of the 22-minute cuts. I know you had one today um, as well. Uh, the uh, I think one of the executives at Aflac you had, had a conversation with. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that was really great. And uh, and I really want to also ask you before we do talk about uh, the debates, where can people find closer look with Rose Scott? Where are the places that they can go so they can listen to what you, uh, the kind of conversations you have. So if you are outside of the Atlanta region, and we cover about, about 13 counties and around Atlanta, that's the great thing about the internet, right? Everybody's global as far as I'm concerned. And we also, the show's also a podcast, so that's great too. So wherever you subscribe to your favorite podcast, you can find a closer look with Rose Scott. You can always go online to wabe.org slash closer look and find all the segments. You know, that's the great thing about, uh, you know, having that extra platform, additional platforms, you know. And if you want us to interview a good mob, you got that. If you want to listen to our, go back and revisit our summer indie music series. One thing about this pandemic, Omar, that I didn't get to do my annual summer indie music series where we bring in just independent artists who 
people not signed by record labels and we have them come in the studio and they jam and for a lot of them it's their first ever radio interview so i kind of miss doing that but um no we're, we're there just, just find us out there in uh the virtual world and, and we're there great great that's really exciting and um i look forward and i urge people listening to really uh, take rose up on that because um you're missing a lot if you don't listen to this show uh, she she does a lot of really hard work and works really hard gets really good quality guests on and there's authentic conversation beyond the sound bites like you just heard rose say a few moments ago so please uh, do take rose up on that and i'm going to link to the link put a link uh, to the show in the liner notes of this podcast and also spread it around on twitter as well um, to augment, to help augment that. Appreciate uh, that. You're, you're most welcome, Rose. Um, just a few minutes, of course, to talk about the Georgia debates, you know, what we saw yesterday. I, I am just, because you're in Atlanta, I was just dying to speak to you about this. <laughs> I really would love to have your take on, first of all, the Ossoff debate, um, or kind of debate, and then secondly, the Warnock-Leffler debate. So if you could take Ossoff first, please. Or Osof, I forgot how to pronounce his name. John Osof, yeah. No, it's kind of like in the morning for me when I get up and I'm in, the, in my, my bathroom and I'm grooming and everything. And I have two cats. And one of my cats always comes in the bathroom. He gets up on the counter and he just stares at me. And I talk to him. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing obviously coming back. I kind of feel like that's what John Osof was doing last night. He's kind of like just talking to this space. And I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. I, I wish candidates would... Now, if you think that your candidate is just not worthy of, because let's be clear, there, there have been some candidates that have been <laughs> far out there, regardless of the political affiliation. But I really would have, I really would have wished, I would have liked for uh, Senator Purdue to have debated John Ossoff, just because I think that's what the voter uh, deserves. You know, um, people need to be able to make an informed decision. And and I get John Ossoff going going ahead with it, but it's like you've got John Ossoff, your, your moderator, two wonderful journalists, one which is my colleague Lisa Ram, and an empty lectern. You know, um, and I think as when you sign up, in my my opinion is when you sign up to be an elected official, when you are holding that post, you owe that to your constituents, you owe that to people. Um, and I would hurt Senator Purdue in the long run. I don't know, but I, I, I'm just not a big fan of that. You know, I've, I've hosted debates on my own show, and, and I really encourage candidates to come on. You know, um, but you know he didn't. So Ossoff was kind of he didn't have the nerve. You know, his campaign had the nerve to put out a statement saying Ossoff lost the debate to himself. I mean, this it's just not. I think. Constituents are, are older than that, regardless of the political affiliation. You know, that's just my opinion. Because it just, after a while, it's kind of like, it's kind of silly, you know? That's my opinion. Right, right. No, no, I, I hear where you're coming from. <laughs> we, have, we have got to the theater of the absurd with some of the yeah. stuff that we're looking at. Of course, we, we you know, uh, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue um, <laughs> and a lot of legislatures around the country um, that have an R next to their name. Um, but anyway, um, I don't want to go too far and off the weeds and off the tracks. 
Um, but Rose, I would like to ask you now about that second debate about uh, the Reverend Raphael Warnock and Kelly Leffler, the current senator of the state of Georgia. Uh, what did you make of, of that debate and how they did? I think there were some missed opportunities for both. Um, I think that starting with Senator Leffler, um, I've always been intrigued when the incumbent or the sitting candidate, you have the, you, you've been a, you're in this spot. Now, granted, she was, you know, appointed by um, Brian Kemp, Governor Kemp. But you have this opportunity to supplant all of your messaging as to why people should keep you in that, that position. Um, as, as someone who has studied history and studied you know, politicians, and, I, and I, I love going back and looking at some of the old debates and, and looking at old campaigns. For me, it just feels like if you just keep saying the same thing, you don't really answer a question, particularly if you are the sitting um, candidate for the incumbent. It just seems like you're just, you know, you're just going through the motions. And I think for Reverend Warnock, I think he missed some opportunities to really challenge um, Senator Leffler on, I mean, really challenge. When you just answer with, you answer by not answering, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. It leads to me, it leads the, the, the uninformed voter or the voter who's undecided still kind of hanging out there. I think that Reverend Warnock uh, had some opportunities to really, um, not just say be nasty and take digs at Senator Leffler, but I think he had some opportunities to really call her on some of the statements that she has made and continues to make, which quite frankly, as a journalist and fact-checking are not true or taken totally out of context. I think he missed that. Um, I think Senator Leffler also had an opportunity to really, you know, talk about what she has done since she's been senator. Um, I think it, I think they both kind of kind of missed. If you want to give grades to say who won and all that, you know, maybe the edge will go to the uh, Reverend Warnock. But I just think both of them missed kind of the opportunity. You know, I, I get the whole notion, particularly with, and I know. Uh, First lady Michelle Obama used to say, you know, when they go low, we go high. And I'm not saying that Warnock should have, you know, thrown some low punches, but I think he had a little bit more of ammunition to really challenge Senator Leffler on. And I, and I think he missed that. Yeah, um, I, I yeah, 100% in agreement with you. That's my great lament about that second debate, by the way, that we, that you've just talked about is that the reverend wasn't, to me, passionate enough. Um, I mean, he's passionate, but I mean passionate enough in investigating and scrutinizing the record of the person standing, you know, 8 to 12 feet from him. And as you point out, I, I do think there were numerous opportunities. So I, I definitely agree with you. Um, I think the last thing I wanted to ask you about is, the last couple of things I wanted to ask you about is do you see any advantages or disadvantages for any of these candidates? Obviously, there's a lot of money coming in. There's, what, $300 million plus already spent. Um, Kelly Leffler is independently wealthy. Her husband is uh, independently wealthy. He owns the, is, owns the company, owns the New York Stock Exchange. 
Um, and also, um, you know, Sonny, um, I said Sonny Padu, <laughs> David Padu. <laughs> David Padu is very wealthy. <laughs> the scandals that have come up. And then you've got Ossoff and you've got um, Warnock um, and the turmoil of the Republicans. So who do you think has an advantage, I guess, aside from the money? Which candidates here do you think have a decided advantage or any advantage, if any, going into next month? I think the advantage will be seen with who who returns to the polls in a runoff. Typically, in a runoff, obviously, voter participation is, is lower. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Democrats and the Republicans are both trying to energize their base to come out, which is why you had so much activity here in Georgia this past weekend. I mean, President Donald Trump was here. Uh, Vice President Mike Pence was here. Former President Barack Obama was here. You know, Joe Biden, so all the heavy hitters are coming. So that tells you the importance of this race. But I think it really is going to depend on who just actually comes out to vote. I don't think either one of them particularly with Leffler and Warnock, I don't know if either one of them swayed an undecided voter or swayed someone from the other side. Mm-hmm. I think people have made up their mind who they're going to vote for. I think the key is, will they come out to vote? Senator, did you believe the, the election was rigged? Look, Greg, it's very clear that there were issues in this election. There are 250 investigations open, including an investigation into one of my opponent's organizations, you know, for voter fraud. And we have to make sure that Georgians trust this process because of what's at stake in this election. You know, the, the promise that Chuck Schumer made was to fundamentally change America. And I'm making sure that we don't go down the road of socialism. You've been attacked for comments you made from the pulpit about law enforcement and the military, foreign policy, among others. You've also said they're taken out of context, but you made these remarks in a public forum. Why shouldn't Georgians take them at face value? Look, it's, it's clear to me that uh, my opponent is uh, going to work really hard spending millions of dollars of her own money <clears throat> trying to push a narrative about me because she's clearly decided Uh, that she does not have a case to be made for why she should stay in that seat. I have worked my whole life to pull people together. I've been working on criminal justice reform. I've worked alongside law enforcement officers to do that work. Uh, Several years ago, uh, I actually brought together the law enforcement officers here in this city, the chief of police, the Black Lives Matter activists, the sitting attorney general, families, parents, all in my church focused on working on these issues that we've seen emerge time and time again. And we need somebody who knows how to bring people together rather than using these issues as a political point to be made. Uh, These issues are tragic and our law enforcement officers lay it on the line every day. They have an ally with me. I, I just think that you can affirm what law enforcement officers do and hold them accountable. Senator Leffler, 30 seconds. You know, my opponent, radical liberal Raphael Warnock, has called police officers gangsters, thugs, bullies, and a threat to our children. When I gave him the chance to apologize in our first debate, he declined. He's also said that you can't serve God and the military. He's used the Bible to justify these types of attacks and make other divisive statements. What we need is someone who can bring together, that can help us get through this pandemic and rebuild our economy across this country and right here in Georgia. That's what I'm fighting to do. Do you want to put that into context? Sure, I'd love to respond. Listen, 
this is why I think folks have turned off from politics very often, uh, because people will turn anything into uh, a kind of cynical political argument. Uh, I was preaching that day uh, from a very familiar math, uh, Matthew text that says you can't serve God and mammon. It was a sermon about uh, a moral foundation for everything that we do and that when you have everything in order, that actually makes you a better soldier. It also makes you a better senator. And had Kelly Leffler listened to the sermon rather than trying to make a cheap political point, she would not have used her advantage as a U.S. senator to make millions on a pandemic while playing it down to the people she was supposed to be representing. By the way, I, I do want to say today is the last day for Georgia voters to register to vote. You've got until 11.59 p.m. tonight, Monday, December 7th, to register to vote. Very, very important. And as you pointed out... There's been a lot of organizations um, that have been out trying to get people registered to vote. And keep in mind also, we have a new wave of voters, which are those young folks who just will be 18... Because I think here in Georgia, you can register as long as you're going to be 18 when you actually go to vote. So there's been a great push to get these young folks, regardless of political affiliation, just to get them involved in the voting process. So you know, I know some of the school districts have actually registered some kids. And again, you know, not about political affiliation. You gotta get young folks engaged in civility and understanding, you know, why their vote does right and, and that was my last my final question was going to be about um what kind of things are you seeing on the ground in atlanta in terms of voting constituencies uh, how they feel about the candidates but also their level of voter participation i mean we've got a few more weeks uh, as you pointed out, we've got vote by mail already happening in Georgia. We've got uh, voting in person in Georgia beginning a week from today on December 14th. I was just going to ask you the last question, which was about voter participation, the kind of energy that you're seeing or observing on the ground there in Atlanta. Let me ask you, Omar, I think too, people are tired. They know the importance of to run off races. I mean, obviously, what's, what's at stake is control of the Senate. And I talk people and they say, oh my goodness, you know, 2020 is whole year and their basis, the, the very individual basis telling them, okay, just come up one more time. So you're seeing both parties and all the campaigns also go that route saying, look, just come out one more time for me. You know, black people are exhausted. I know they are. Uh, it's, it's been a trying year and, um, Considering also with the pandemic and, and people don't want to stand in long lines, I definitely understand that. Um, people have concerns. So I, I think that people are, are ex- excited, but I think they're also exhausted. You know, it's like, let's get this over with so we can. Not say they don't care, because I talked to a lot of people who said they, they care, they're just exhausted and they're tired and they want to move on to whatever's going to happen. And, and so we can all get back to a better quality of life. And for those who are struggling before, let's make sure we can give them something a better too. So. We need to get significant financial support to our public health infrastructure, to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, to clinics and hospitals, the U.S. Public Health Service, to nursing homes and hospice facilities. And we need to invest in a longer-term economic recovery. 
because this short-term direct relief will help relieve some of the immediate pain. But we need a significant infrastructure and jobs package to invest in long-term economic recovery. And I just want to reemphasize again, early voting begins on December 14th. You know who's been hit the hardest by this virus? Has been Georgia's black community where the death and the suffering and the financial distress have been so acute? Where is Senator Perdue for the African-American community here in Georgia? Where is Senator Perdue for those who are suffering and need relief? He's been on his private island trading stocks. We need to make a plan to vote with early voting beginning on December 14th. All right, I want to get in Greg's second question. Before I do, I want to say that I misspoke at the outset. You have 90 seconds for your answers, uh, which has not been an issue so far, but- uh Yeah, I really appreciate your work and continued success. Uh, you have been listening to the one and only Rose Scott. She is an Emmy award-winning journalist and also a Morrow award-winning journalist. She is the executive producer and host of Closer Look with Rose Scott on WABE in Atlanta, an affiliate of NPR, National Public Radio. And thank you very much, Rose, for being here on the Politocrat podcast. Thank you so much for the invitation, Omar, and uh, best of luck to you and continued success. It was fun. Happy back. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's very nice to have you here. Very special thanks to Rose Scott for coming on as a guest on this edition of the Politocrat Daily Podcast. Rose is the host and executive producer of the WABE NPR Atlanta Affiliate Stations program, Closer Look with Rose Scott. She is an Emmy and Morrow Award-winning journalist. Thank you for your time again, Rose. Really appreciated having you on. And thank you very much for listening to this edition of the Politocrat Podcast. I'm Omar Moore. If we don't win these two Senate races, they're going to try to do to the Biden-Harris administration exactly what they tried to do to President Barack Obama. It will be gridlock, government shutdowns, bitter partisanship, obstructionism as far as the eye can see. People need help now. They needed help eight months ago. Our senator has been absent, is absent, doesn't think he needs to be here answering questions, doesn't think he needs to be in Washington passing relief for the people. Our senator who told us that COVID-19 was no deadlier than the flu will be obstructing the efforts of this incoming administration to get relief to people and contain the spread of this virus. And it's why we have to make a plan to vote. And I'm going to keep saying it all night that early voting begins on December 14th. Uh, Mr. Ossoff, thank you.